to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writing, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, what's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. But since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that, He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the first things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Sink this truth into our heart, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul talking to the Corinthians, he says, since we have this ministry, what ministry do you think that is? What's the ministry that Paul's saying? The gospel. It is the gospel. Who knows what the word gospel means? Just shout it out. Good news. Right. Good. Good news. How do you know good news without first understanding bad news? Right? And and so, Paul will oftentimes talk about the bad news. He'll talk about the law. We just talked about the law just last week, didn't we? The last couple times that we've been together, the law was fading away, whereas grace, the the law, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
Paul talks about that. He uses the letter, but he brings forth the Spirit. And so, the letter shows us the bad news. The Spirit shows us the good news. And so, Paul says, since we have this ministry, and it's a great ministry, it's a great thing. Paul is excited as he writes this to the Corinthians. You and I should be excited for what Paul is saying, what's his ministry, because it also is our ministry. We have some of the greatest opportunity this side of heaven. We have opportunity, every single one of us, to transform someone's heart, to transform someone's mind. Not that we do it. And Paul says this all along. Not us, but Christ who lives in us. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. He said that last chapter, right? In this chapter, he's saying, it's not us, but it's God living in us. He's the one that's making the change. As he made a change in us, we make a change in you. Even if the change that he made in us might cause us death, we do it for your sakes, for the life of your sakes. And so Paul, his heart is, I want to be spent for the rest of my life for the sake of the gospel. You and I, we have the greatest, greatest, greatest calling. And when I say we have a greatest calling, I'm not saying that you're, God called you to be a pastor, but God has called you to talk to people, and he, God's called me to talk to people. And I know that kind of gets scary to us at times, but here's the thing. It's our calling. It's our calling. Much like a brain surgeon has got to go in and, and do radical, invasive surgeries at times on people. Do you think that a brain surgeon is ever afraid when he goes in? Do you think that maybe there's some fear in a heart of a surgeon? Now, I'm sure that there might be some that just don't have really a whole lot of fear, but it just, hey man, they're, they're on it and they're ready to go. And, but I would say that for the most part, there are going to be those that have a healthy respect for the calling with which they were called to be a brain surgeon. Oh, if it's an unnamed person, just somebody they don't know, it's one thing. What if that brain surgeon is going in to talk or to, to operate on his son or his daughter, his brother or his sister, his mom or his dad? The stakes kind of rise a little bit, don't they? You think that that brain surgeon is going to be a little nervous. He's going to be a little uh, you know, intimidated maybe a bit. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't, want to, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to slip. I want to save their life. But without me going in there, this... And, and performing this surgery, they're going to die. And as a brain surgeon, we'll look at that and maybe be even intimidated and, 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 and experiencing some trepidation as they go in to, to scrub up for that surgery on their loved one. As they go in, they're going to press through that fear because they know without them, this person's going to die. We need to begin to consider our calling even greater and even higher than that of a brain surgeon. 
God's called us to go out into the world and preach the good news. That was the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? What did Jesus say? What's the Great Commission? What's the first word? What's the first word? Huh? Go. Who's he talking to? Us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I love the statement, and lo, (laughs) and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's the thing. Jesus is saying, I want you to go. That's your calling. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Good news. But know that you're not going alone. Lo, I am with you wherever you go, even to the end of the age. You will never go anywhere. You will never uh, uh, dialogue with anyone the gospel, with the gospel, or about the gospel, without also having the Lord in your presence. And so it's not you going alone, it's the Lord going with you, speaking through you, through me, through us. But as we might fear, I, I, think, I think I'll just, I'll let, it, I'll let it ride today. I'll let it pass. Can you imagine if a brain surgeon goes, ah, I'm just going to let it pass today. No, a brain surgeon's going, hey, the sooner the better. If I don't get in there today, here's what's going to happen. Maybe a tumor is going to grow, or maybe this injury that this loved one has is bleeding. If I don't get in there and do something about it, it's going to take their life. I'm fearful that I might make a mistake, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to fall back on what it is that I have been called to do. I'm going to go back and I'm going to consider all of the education and all of the practicums that I, that I performed. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to dig in and I'm going to do my very level-headed best. To honor this person, to love this person, to give them everything that I have out of love, out of compassion, out of mercy, and out of me having a deep love for this person. I'm going to give them everything I have. If a brain surgeon can do that, how much more a Christian? Gang, Paul says, we, since we have this ministry, and it is a great ministry, we get the opportunity to share good news. And so we don't lose heart. No matter what happens, we just don't lose heart because we understand the magnitude of what the calling that God has upon our life. What it is. We understand. We're not afraid. We don't lose heart. Oh, there's going to be times that they have fear. Don't get me wrong. We're going to see that here in just a second, right? We've already read it. Even though there's some struggles and some difficulties in their life, it doesn't mean that they'll ever stop doing what it is that God has called him to do or them to do because they've looked at their life as we looked at our life even last week. It's not about us, right? Right? That's what these things were for, remember? When we look in the mirror and we see ourselves looking back at us in normal size and we sit there and gaze too long, we're going to be depressed because 
we're going to stop liking what we see. And if we just want to speed that process up a little bit, we just turn this mirror around and now we're magnified by five times, I think is what this is. We magnify ourselves. Oh, look at me. And basically what you see are more blackheads. <laughs> right? And you go, oh man, I just hope somebody doesn't see that. Now we see ourselves at that five magnification. Nobody else sees us maybe that close. But because we see that... We, we're displeased with ourselves. And if we're displeased with ourselves, what we want to do is we want, we want to change. We want to be like somebody else. And, and, and the thing is, is that we, we find ourselves, when we're living for self, we find ourselves wanting all the time because we're never satisfied. We're just never satisfied. But when we look into the face of Jesus, now I know that this mirror here is, it's foggy, you see, it has the name of Jesus on there. I didn't put a picture of Jesus on there. As I said last week, I didn't put a picture of Jesus on there because I don't want to be making an image of something that I don't know what he looks like. Have you ever wondered, why didn't one of these guys, I mean, for goodness sakes, there's 26 books of the New Testament. Why didn't one of them say, hey, Jesus was like 6'2", he had black hair, had fair complexion, he actually was handsome or he wasn't, you know? Or he was short. Maybe he was balding. I don't know. Why explain who, what, and what Jesus looked like? You know why? God knows us. He knows us. Here's what we would do. What do you think we would do? Huh? We'd go find somebody who looks like him. We'd, we'd go and hire an artist to make a sculptor, you know, a sculptor to make a, an image of that. And what would we then begin to do? Worship that thing, right? And what does God say that we should not be doing? Worshiping images, right? He said, don't worship images. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus says, doesn't he? And so here's the thing. We don't need an image. We have the real thing. We don't see what he looks like, but one day we will. I can't wait for that day. But Paul says, listen, on the broad, broad scope of things, when I look at my life and I see who I used to be and I see what God has done in my life, what he has saved me from and saved me to and what I have in my future, and the calling that he's placed upon my life, this is a ministry that I have. It's not just mine. It's all that call upon the name of the Lord. It's a ministry that we have. There's no reason for me to lose heart when things begin to go against me a little bit. He, he, he goes on, he's saying, now there are there, there are some, there are some, this is not who we are. He says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In the mid to late 1800s, many Chinese men were contracted from southeastern China for five-year stints to travel over to the United States at the behest of the Transcontinental Railroad to construct the large web of railway lines that stretch over the land of our great country. Being, 
before many of the labor laws that we have today, Chinese laborers were paid far less than what their U.S. counterparts were being paid. As one would expect, these Chinese laborers would work grueling hours, swinging sledgehammers as they pounded in never-ending railroad tracks. One of the things that the Chinese laborers brought with them from China was a therapeutic oil made out of a snake that was derived from a Chinese water snake found only in their homeland, which was, they found out, rich in omega-3 acids. It's pretty fascinating, right? And it was, in its purest form, extremely effective as an anti-inflammatory that treated bursitis and arthritis and the sore muscles of these laborers. And as the usage became very popular amongst the Chinese laborers, some began to be shared amongst their U.S. co-workers and, and demand for that product became high. Because there were no Chinese water snakes in the United States, people began to attempt to replicate this liniment by using various snakes readily found in the United States. One of those attempting to cash in on this potential cash cow or cash snake was a man by the name of Clark Stanley. Clark Stanley. He was a cowboy who in the 1890s began to tout his use of the oil of rattlesnakes as the prime ingredient in his own developed healing ointment. In fact, at the extremely popular and well-attended World's Exposition in Chicago in, 19, in 1893, he shocked his audience as he gathered this large audience in front of him as he cut open a live rattlesnake right in front of them and tossed this snake in a pot of boiling water. And then as the oil of the snake began to rise to the surface, he skimmed off that oil and used it right there on the spot to create his, fam his famous Clark Stanley snake oil liniment. Pretty gross, isn't it? Thank you. I don't feel like I've satisfied my thing unless I gross you out a little bit. Right? According to history, I'm just joking. According to history, he quickly sold out of his concoction as the onlookers snatched up uh, all of his stock. He continued to travel and sell this increasingly popular product until after much complaints, his quote-unquote snake oil was tested and found to contain less than a third of the acids found in the Chinese water snake oil. And even later testing found that Clark Stanley's snake oil liniment contained four ingredients, mineral oil, beef fat, red pepper, and turpentine. There was no trace of snake oil present in his product. By 1906, legislation that prompted the Pure Food and Drug Act began to test and penalize men like Stanley for their fraudulent claims and products. Stanley was fined $20, which today would equate to about $429, and ordered to cease and desist, but there were hundreds of others that were trying to make a quick buck on the outrageous claims of products that they would concoct and deceive unsuspecting customers into purchasing their own forms of snake oil. This is where we get our negative phrase describing someone as a snake oil salesman. As one who attempts to deceive the unsuspecting into purchasing something or even 
or even maybe even a thought, trying to change their way of thinking simply for the gain of the deceiver. Why did I take time talking about that here today? Because I believe that there's a lot of snake oil salesmen that are standing behind pulpits today. And, and I say that to, to warn you and warn me and warn us because we have got to be on our guard. Paul says, we didn't come to you to deceive you. We've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But in the making known or the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so here's what, here's what Paul's saying. We don't have to come to you and trick you into believing God. We're just going to show you who God is in our life. We're going to present to you the God of the Bible. We're going to present to you this gospel. We're going to present to you Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we're going to step back and watch God just do a radical work in your life. And there is the testimony in and of itself. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to trick you into believing it. I just have to tell you who He is and then let God just have full run with you. And you're going to see on your own that you don't need to have any deceptive means in order to get you into a church. You don't have to have any deceptive means in order to get someone saved. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I gladly have that ministry. And it's in that gang I want you to understand. That's the ministry that is available to us today. It's not just for Paul. Paul's not just saying it for himself. He's saying it to encourage the church in Corinth. But he's now also encouraging the church here at Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship in Sarasota, Florida in 2017. Saying, guys, we have a great ministry. We don't have to try to sell it. It sells itself. We just need to live it. And we need to present it. And it's a great thing. And Paul says, not everybody's going to believe. That's what he goes on in the next verse. In verse 3, he says, but if our gospel is veiled, if they don't believe, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who is the God of this age? Someone yell it out. Who? Satan. Satan. Satan is the God of this age whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who don't believe. They don't believe in Christ. Lest the light of the good news or the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you can take this note down because I'm going to have to hurry up here, but back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, we see Paul addressing this issue also. He says in verse 18 of chapter 1, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. How many of you have ever been rebuffed by a non-believer? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you've ever opened your mouth, you have been rebuffed. You've had, you've run into the naysayers. You've run into those that, that uh, will ridicule you and consider you foolish. Do you believe in Santa Claus too? And the Easter Bunny? They may try to mock. But to them, it's foolishness. Why? 
Because they're... What Paul says, because, here's the thing, the God of this age has blinded those who do not believe. That's like going to the... the the annual blind person's convention. Okay? Stick with me here. I really don't want to offend anybody who knows people who are blind, but, and I don't mean to mock anything. Just hear my heart, okay? Instead of putting all the little, you know, prefaces out there, you know, let me just say, I'm not meaning to hurt anybody's heart or feelings, but here's the thing. Can you imagine going to a person, going to a, a, a blind person's convention and being there and trying to, to describe to them what something looks like? Now, this would be a hard thing to, to do, and what I'm asking you to do is, it, it may be a little difficult for us, but what if, they didn't even know that their eyes could see. What if they grew up in a world that didn't have anybody that could see and, and they just go through life just feeling things? You imagine going in a room and going, oh man, if you could see how beautiful this flower is. Oh, they got this gardenia or they got this, this beautiful hibiscus. I think God had a blast when he made hibiscus. Flowers. You ever just look at all the little intricacies of a, of a beautiful hibiscus flower, all the different colors that are inside? Explain that to a blind person. Explain that to a convention full of blind people. They may, because they haven't ever experienced, they may laugh you off a stage. If there was a stage, I don't know how that would work. But here's the thing. Because they had never experienced it. Because they don't know what it looks like. Because they can't experience the vision and the beauty of that. Because they, they only have their mind to think about what it would be. They don't have a visual uh, action. They don't have the physical ability to physically see what it is that you see. They, they might consider you foolish. Oh, it's red, and it's got yellows in it. It actually even has some pinks. There's even, like, even a purple part to it. And they would say, what do those words mean? You say these colors, and you say they're colors, and that you can see it, but, you know, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Now, let's take that one step further. How foolish would you be if you argue with them and get mad at them because they don't see the colors. How silly it would be to argue with a blind person because a blind person can't say, hey, that's red. Hey, man, this, you know, this, this, uh, I'm trying to find something that has color to it. This, this, this mirror right here. I don't even know what color that is. What color is this? Huh? Turquoise. turquoise? Okay, turquoise. Okay, that's for us. Okay. It's kind of turquoise. Turquoise. This, this, Mirror frame is turquoise. Mr. Blind Person, Mrs. Blind Woman, this mirror frame is turquoise. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's kind of a cool color. Would you like to have a car this color or something? Not really, but I mean, wouldn't you like to have a car this color? And you go, no. Number one, I can't drive, but number two, I don't, 
I don't, I don't even know what turquoise looks like. Just, your eyes are open, just look at it. It's turquoise. Yeah, I, I don't know. Open your eyes. Just get it. Just agree with me. It's, it's turquoise. I, I don't know. I can't. And my buddy over here can't see it either, and this guy can't see it. And so if we can't see it, then you can't see it, and you're lying. And, and so the, the point is, don't argue with a blind person. Show them the way. Show them the way. Be a light. He's going to talk about that here in a second. Be a light. That's what God's called us to be. He says, we don't preach ourselves. But we preach Christ, Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants, we've, that, that word bondservant, we know what that means, right? We, we know that a bondservant is a servant, is a slave that has been freed and is no longer a slave, but because he likes his master, because he likes the place that he works, because his family and his friends are still on this farm or wherever it is in that, you know, field or, or, or in that, you know, production, you know, house or whatever it is that they're doing. This slave looks back and says, I really like being here. You take good care of me. You feed me and, and, and you, you, you know, you really are very kind. You're very kind. But you're free to go. That maybe that, and, and now I know for us, this is hard for us to grasp, isn't it? Because we just, being a slave is foreign to us. Being a slave is cruel to us. We understand that. But mind you, this wasn't necessarily something that was completely and totally out of the norm back in this day. And so Paul uses the words that were back in the, that were normal back in that day and what people would identify with and say, hey, here's a person who has been in slavery here and he's, he works, you know, he's, he's, uh, uh, you know, s- submitted to this one, you know, uh, slave owner and he does what he says and he does what he's asked. But that slave owner is, he doesn't beat down on these guys. He loves his, his people. But there is a contract, there is a law that says at this time of your life, you have been set free. You're free to go. And, and to say, and, and a bondservant is one where the slave goes, yeah, I know I'm free to go, but I don't want to go. Which again is foreign to us, isn't it? Wait a minute, you were a slave, you're free to go. You don't have to be a slave anymore. And yet the slave is going, you don't understand I want to be here. I like being here. I don't consider this a burden. I consider it a blessing. And, and they, they put themselves back under the slave owner. And he becomes a bond slave. A bond slave is that they take a, an owl and they, they punch a hole in his ear and put a little uh, earring in, thereby signifying that he is a bond slave. He's a willing slave. Paul says... That's who we are. We are your bond slaves. We willfully put ourselves under our, the servitude of you. We want to serve you so that you can see who Christ is. We are bond servants, your bond servants for Jesus. We've submitted ourselves under Christ to come and serve you on his behalf. That's what we are. 
Do you understand that's who we are, Calvary? That's who we are, guys. That, saints, that's who we are. We are, if you're a Christian, if you're still holding on to a lot of your life, you're going to be miserable. But the moment that you begin to realize, hey, wait a minute, it's not about me. It's about Christ. The body that I'm living, the, the life that I'm living, this mind that I think with, the heart that I feel with, the, the emotions that I experience are now to be running through the filter of the Lord. And for some, you might go, ah, I, don't, I, I, I think that if I do that, he, God is going to put me in a choir and I'm going to play harps. Or I'm going to, I'm going to have to become a goody two-shoe. Goody two-shoe. And, and, and you, you look at what the limitations that God is going to place on you and you don't realize that are you kidding me? This is the God of the universe that created the heavens and the earth and you're, you're saying he's stuffy and he doesn't know what makes you tick? He doesn't know what makes you happy? He doesn't know how to, how to excite your heart and your mind? He doesn't know what to get your adrenaline pumping through your veins? Oh, he knows. We just think that we sometimes know better. And sometimes we listen to the God of this age who tries to deceive us. He's a snake oil salesman. That's who Satan is. To try to deceive us into being something that God has not called us to be. We're bondservants. We are your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, just as the heavens and the earth were dark until God said, let there be light. Darkness was hovering over the face of the deep. And then the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and literally, I was, I was uh, actually, this morning I woke up and I was just kind of just listening to my Pastor Chuck talk about this, you know, Chuck Smith talk about this. I was just kind of listening to some of the things that he was saying. I don't do that very often, but I, this morning I just wanted to hear Chuck a little bit and hear what he was saying. And Chuck mentioned, he said, the literal translation of let there be light and there was light was light be and light was. God said light be. And light was. That's awesome. That's the God that you're thinking, oh, he's stuffy. Satan didn't do that. He can't do that. He can't create anything other than chaos. It, Jesus says, or what Paul says is, listen, just as the heavens and the earth were dark until God said, let there be light, so too with our hearts. Our hearts were dark until the light of Jesus entered and he illuminated us. And right now we walk in light. Jesus says, "Let your you are the light of the world. Don't put your light under a bushel. No. Let it shine. We all know that song, right? Don't let Satan... Thank you, Bert. He's the one I knew would carry this. Thank you. That's why I love Bert here. Don't let Satan... It out. I'm going to let it shine. Why? Because we are the light of the world. And a light 
that has been ignited by none other than the Holy Spirit of God that is to shine in the darkness that is in this world that the God of this age has blinded. And what's cool, can you imagine having, (laughs) going back to my earlier grasp at an illustration of going to a blind person's convention? Can you imagine going in there and having in your possession the cure for blindness? Some are going to mock you. I don't want that cure. I'm perfectly happy the way that I am. But there are going to be some that are going to go, to see? Yeah, I'll see. I would love to see. I mean, you, you talk about it. I, 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 I hear you explaining things that I can't explain that way. I hear you talk about the visual, and I, I can't comprehend that. I would love to comprehend that one day. Much like a, a non-believer might go, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. You just carry on about your life. Whereas there's others that are non-believers that are going, I just don't know. I don't know. I see what's going on in your life, but... I just don't understand it. I don't understand. And I would, I would like to have, I mean, I'd like to have your countenance. I'd like to have your character. I, I'd like to be known as a person like you're known as, but I, I don't understand. Well, let me introduce you to the one who can teach you. Let me introduce you to the one who can transform you as he has transformed me. And so we're going to come against the naysayers and those who consider us foolish. And we're going to come to those also that are willing to receive Christ. Because you know why? We know that that will happen because every single one of us were one of those people at one time, were we not? Every single one of us were a naysayer at one time. Before you became a Christian, you were a naysayer. Some of you guys were loud naysayers. And yet, the Lord grabbed a hold of your life He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The word earthen vessels is clay pots. When God looks at you and I, he looks at us as what we are. We're clay. When God created man, where did he create him out of? The earth, right? We're earthen vessels. We're like clay pots. He's the potter, we are the clay. Jeremiah talks about that, doesn't he? Here's the thing. We are... The pot, he is the potter, he makes us into whatever it is that he desires. But here's the thing, we're all vessels. The thing is, is that Paul says, hey, we're all clay vessels. But a vessel is something that contains something. And as we as Christians, we're a clay vessel, but we contain Christ. That's who we are. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. When people see the light that's illuminating out of this clay pot, they don't look at the clay pot and go, oh, how awesome clay pot. They go, what is the light source? I want to see the light. Christ is the light. Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. We're always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested or made known in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, 
but life in you. What Paul's saying here, he's saying, listen, because we recognize that we're earthen vessels that have the light of Christ that is dwelling within us, because we know that we are no longer our own and that when we look into a mirror, we should not be looking at self, but we're looking at Christ. Our life is hidden in Christ. That means that we die. We die. We die. Death is working in us, but it's life in you. The more that I die to dawn, and the more that Christ is manifested through dawn, the more impacting and more influential or or more uh, uh, usable I am to the Lord because God can use a vessel that's willing to be moved by Him, by the Holy Spirit. And so as we are moved by the Holy Spirit and not by selfish ambition... When we, when we do things for ourselves, it's going to pass away. But the things done for the Lord will never pass away. And so here's the thing. Paul says, when we're living under that mindset that I'm living for Christ and not for self, when I live for Christ and I have a job, I have a calling, much like the brain surgeon, I have a calling. Even when it's scary, I'm still going to press on because I love these people and I want to bring them the healing ointment of the Holy Spirit. I want them to be healed of their sin sickness. I want them to be healed. And God has given me and equipped me to go and give this away freely as he gave it to me. I want that. And so Paul's saying, as we understand that, when, when we are hard-pressed, it'll never crush us because we know we don't belong to us anymore. We belong to Christ. And when we're hard-pressed, we look at the Lord and go, Lord, hard-pressed, this, is this what you want? Show me, guide me through this, this difficulty. And if you want this difficulty to stay on, then Lord, help me to represent you well. Because there's somebody you're trying to reach. You're somebody you're wanting to touch. I remember uh, one of my pastor's uh, teachers out in California, his name was Tim Hamilton from the Bible College. Interesting, I'm talking about Bible College. His name is Tim Hamilton. I remember something that he said many years ago that uh, there's just, you know, there's few phrases that you hear from different pastors that just stick with you and become kind of defining moments and, and those, those nuggets that you never forget. One of the things that Tim Hamilton said, he said, and we were working through the, the book of Psalms, or through all the Psalms, which is impossible to do in a semester, but he, did a, he didn't even get close to being done with it. But one of the things that he said in there is David talks about suffering a lot and, and, and how other people are coming at him and so on and so forth. But one thing that is a common thread in there is that David talks about suffering a lot in there. And he, he said one day, he said, when I am in suffering, when I am experiencing suffering. I want you to hear this. So when I'm experiencing suffering, I go to the Lord and I ask him, Lord, is it me? Is it me that has caused the suffering? Is it a sin in my life? Is there something that I have done that would cause this upon myself? If the Lord goes, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Then my prayer is, and this is the statement he said, Lord, let not this suffering go for nothing. Have you ever thought about that? The suffering that you've gone through? There's something that happens to those who suffer. 
A Christian who suffers, who experiences a time in their life of suffering, is there is something deeper that they, they, they've experienced. They've experienced the Lord on a level that maybe some of us who haven't gone through such suffering have ever been able to experience. Suffering sometimes is a part of a believer. But God wants to work through that suffering. There's, it's not taking God by storm. He's not going, oh man, oh man, I didn't mean for those guys to go through any sufferings. He's, he's looking at you and I as vessels and he's going, you are going to be used by me because right now I know what I can do in your life and I know what I'm allowing in your life and I'm with you and I'm, my heart breaks with you and I'm there to help you through and see you through this difficult time in your life. But here's the thing, there is someone down the road that I am I'm preparing you to reach. I'm preparing you to minister to because you, you're my vessel that I want to use. Be willing to allow my Holy Spirit to work in your life. And and when you are hard-pressed, you won't be crushed. When we understand that we are truly submitted to the Lord and allow Him to do anything in our life that He desires to do in order to accomplish His purpose. If that's you, if that's me, you can identify with Paul when he says, man, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're never crushed. You know, we're, we're perplexed at times. We're, we don't understand, but it doesn't cause such despair that we give up. We throw our hands up and say, man, I'm not going to do this anymore. We can be persecuted, but we know we're never forsaken from the Lord. We can be struck down, but it's never going to destroy us. When we have that heart of submission completely and fully and 100% under the Lord, it doesn't matter what happens to you in your life. It's not that we, we, we dive in to go experience those things, but when we do, it's not something that should destroy our faith. God has a plan. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to that which is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus, he'll also raise up, uh, he'll raise us up with Jesus. He's, he's, he's saying, listen, I know that the suffering's out there, I know that it's tough, and I know that there's some things, but God, you know, God did this work in my life. I believed, and therefore, it, it causes me to speak. And he, he quotes a psalmist there. He goes, I believed, and therefore, I spoke. And he says, we also believe, and therefore, we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus, he's also going to raise, raise us up with Jesus, and he'll present us with you. For all things that we, we do, all things that we go through, are for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, and he's just encapsulating what he just talked about in verses 8 through 12. He goes, therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, you know what that means? Light pressure. (laughs) Think about that. Our light pressure which is but for a moment, is working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. If Here in just a few weeks, and a couple months probably, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Paul says, for these, this light affliction. Now that's an understatement if I've ever heard one. Here's Paul's life. You'd find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You can turn over there. You don't have to, but uh, just to hurry here. He says, listen, are they Hebrews? Verse 22, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? Yep, me too. Are, the, are they ministers of Christ? Hey, I speak as a fool. I'm going to speak foolishly now to you because here's the thing. He's saying, I'm going to speak as a fool because it's silly for me to boast of what it is that I've gone through. But because I've gone through it, I need to at least share with you what it is that I've experienced and I've not given up on Christ. I've not given up on Christ. I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five different separate times did I receive 40 stripes minus one, 39 whips and lashes upon my back. I did five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was even stoned once. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I've been in the deep. Can you imagine being shipwrecked out in the middle of the ocean? All night long? How scary would that be? I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own country, uh, countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils of false, among false brethren, in weariness and in toil. In sleeplessness office, often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily, my concern, my deep concern, is for all the churches. He says, I'm doing all of this. I endure all of this because it's for your sake. It's for, it's for your sake because I'm no longer me. It's no longer about Paul. It's about Christ. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified because that is the answer. If anyone says the answer to your life's problems are anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you're looking at the wrong thing. I don't want to simplify, oversimplify things and go, well, there aren't some helpful things that are out there. But if you're going to those helpful things that are out there and you're not considering a complete and total surrender unto the Lord... You're going to try to find it man's way and you're going to find yourself wanting. You're going to find yourself in rehab for a long time. You're going to find yourself in counseling for a long time. But when you come to Jesus Christ and you see him face to face and you say, Lord, my life is no longer mine. Mine is yours. Lord, I'm going through a very difficult, hard-pressed time right now. But Lord, I'm choosing not to be crushed because you have called me here. So Lord, you have me in this position. What is it you want to do in my life? It's tough. I'm hard. It's hard. Paul says, listen... I know what it means to be in difficult days. I've had them too. But you know what? I'd willfully do, do them again. I'd willfully do them again because you know why? I love the church that much. Paul talks about that, doesn't he, in, in Romans chapter 9, doesn't he? He says in Romans chapter 9, he says, you know, here's the thing. In Romans chapter 8, he says, I don't consider these Struggles. I don't consider these, these uh, tribulations and these trials worthy to be compared to the glory that one day will be revealed in us in heaven. 
I, I just, it's not worthy to be compared to it. In fact, my life is wrapped up in what it is that God has called me to be on a day-by-day basis that, you know what? If it were even possible, I could wish myself a curse for the sake of my countrymen. If it meant my life, which I know it can't, because only one can die for the people, and that was Jesus. But if it were even possible, I would, I would give my body gladly. I would give my life gladly for the sake of my countrymen. God, give us that heart. Lord, give us that heart. We don't lose heart even though our outward man is perishing because the inward man is being renewed day by day, he says. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a far and more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen, they're only temporary. The things in this world, gang, are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Guys, let's get our eyes off the world and put our eyes on heaven, man. Put our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Let's keep our eyes on Christ. We have a job to do. You have a calling. I have a calling. We have a calling as a church. Let's go and fulfill that. You adrenaline junkies out there, live for Jesus for a week fully. When he prompts you to do something, do it. Do it for one day. I, I promise you, your adrenaline's going to be flowing because he's going to ask you to do things if you're willing, that are going to take you completely and totally out of your comfort zone. Gang, let's live the remaining days. Let's be a church, Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship, that lives out of our comfort zone. Let's not become too comfortable here in this world because this is not what it is. It's not what it's about. That's exactly what the God of this age would want us to believe, that this is what it's all about. It's not. It's not. It's about eternity, man. Let's fix our eyes on Christ. Let's fix our eyes on Him, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, Jesus is never going to ask you to do something that He Himself didn't do. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. I finished with this. You know it. You know this verse, these two verses. It's Hebrews chapter 12, right? You know them. Therefore, seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us, that have lived their life full on for the Lord. Those who have died even before Jesus was here and they, they sacrificed their life even to, to, to the Lord because they knew one day they'd see the Lord face to face. The writer of Hebrews, who I believe was Paul, says, Therefore, seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let's consider that so that we can lay aside every weight and sin that, that, that hangs us up, that trips us up. And let us then look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, who do you think the joy was? What do you think the joy was that was set before Jesus? Someone just say it loud. Ross, right on, man. A plus for Ross today. It was us. We were the joy. It was for that reason that Jesus didn't stumble along the way because of his passionate love that he had for you, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and right now he sits down at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. 
He's never going to ask you to do something that he himself also hasn't done. He did it for you. He's saying, hey, let me live through you to, to bring you to a glorious end. I know my plans that I have for you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. But I'm going to bring you to a glorious end. You just got to trust me. Gang, let's trust Jesus. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, we don't know what that looks like sometimes. What does it mean to completely and totally give our lives to you? Lord, we become professional soul holders where we hold on to our own flesh. We hold on to our own wants and desires in this world and it's become so habitual. It's become so prevalent in our life that, God, when we hear a message like this, when we're challenged by a message like this, we, we sometimes will look at it and go, Lord, but I don't even know what that looks like. How do I even start? This sounds like such a huge mountain that I'll never scale. And because it's such a huge mountain, I'm not even going to take the very first step up that hill. God, help us to not labor over a walk with you. Help us to just rest in you. Jesus, you didn't say your, your calling to us was supposed to be one of sweat and hard work and all this stuff in order to secure a salvation. You said, come to me. Are you weary and heavy laden? Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke, it's easy. My burden is light. Lord, when we make our life in you more work than what you just described in those verses, then Lord, we misunderstand what you mean when we say we surrender our life to you. And it's too tough. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show us. God, I pray that this week is one that we've been challenged to go out and do something different this week. Not just stay in a rut. Not just going out and, and, and living our life the way that we've been living it all along. Lord, let's go out in this world. Show us what it means to live for you this week. Help us to, to live in our calling just like a doctor would. We are evangelists, Lord. We are saints walking in this world. We are your disciples. To go out and share this good news. You have given us, you have equipped us, and you said you're going to go with us. And so, Lord, help us. Show us what that means. Lord, for some in this room, even as we sang this morning that song, Lord, light the fire again. Don't let my vision die. I'm calling out. Light the fire again. Lord, I'm here to buy gold refined in the fire. Naked and poor, wretched and blind I come. I have nothing to offer you, Lord, but you have everything to offer me. I'm naked, poor, I'm wretched and blind, but I come. Now, Lord, you clothe me in white. So I will not be ashamed. And then light the fire again, Lord, that I might burn brightly for you. 
May that be our prayer of every single person listening to this message in this room or wherever they're listening to this message. We are yours again, Lord. Sorry for taking it back. Man, we do that a lot. But Lord, today we give you our lives back. They're yours. Do with them as you will. The spiritual adrenaline will begin to flow as you point us in the direction that you want us to to walk this day. Help us to be obedient, Lord. Empower my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray that there's not one person that walks out of here going, man, I've blown it for the last 15 years. And they're burdened down and beaten down. Lord, don't let one person walk out of this place today feeling burdened or beaten down. Lord, we have the greatest calling in the whole wide world. We get to go and tell good news. And you're the one that gets to do the change. We just get to go and we get to share the greatest news of all time. Lord, help us to do that. Bless these precious saints as they leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.